Hello Arcadia, and thank you for tuning in to the second episode of Season 4 of the Keeping at Arcadia podcast, brought to you by the students at Arcadia Unified School District's Digital Communications Internship, or DCI for short. My name is Joyce Ping, and I'm your host for today. COVID-19 has impacted and changed everything. From our relationships to economic situations, small businesses, mental and physical health, and every part of our everyday normal routines. Despite these difficult times, there have been just as many positive actions and movements to support one another, with countless small acts of kindness and both local and national organizations coming together to find solutions and help one another out. At the beginning of the pandemic, there was a substantial shortage in PPE supplies, which had hard-hitting effects on the frontline healthcare workers. That's why Kevin and Karen Tsai, two Arcadia High School alumni, teamed up with J.U. Kong, to start the Donate PPE Foundation, which has raised hundreds of thousands of dollars and donated over 2 million PPE and supplies. Hello, my name is Claire Lee, and today I get to talk to two Arcadia alumni, Drs. Karen Tsai and Kevin Tsai. So I wanted to know what really helped create the nonprofit and what motivated you besides just wanting to help out. Yeah, so I think I can speak largely to this. So we started this nonprofit mid-March in response to what we were dealing with in terms of, um, you know, first-hand stories, not so much in California immediately in the beginning of the pandemic, but other colleagues in New York, Connecticut, uh, in New Jersey, and in Long Island, where both of us went to medical school, where a lot of the frontline healthcare workers, including our frontline colleagues, uh, were being severely hit. I think I I remember hearing a lot of my colleagues who are emergency medicine physicians saying that they were basically given one N95 mask to use indefinitely just because of the huge shortages. And a lot of these individuals were maybe not equipped, uh, you know, in their subspecialty to work in these, you know, COVID units were getting pulled to um, cross cover a lot of these COVID units just because of staffing shortages and because a lot of their colleagues fell ill due to COVID. And so once we were hearing about this, um, you know, we initially wanted to kind of make donate PPE, um, you know, as a like kind of a local organization within to help California, because um, the other co-founder, Dayu Kong, who is a Bay Area engineer, both of us are based in California. And so we didn't really see that, you know, there was a great need in California immediately in the pandemic. And so wanted to expand further out to help those, uh, you know, in the hotspot areas, so to speak. So those included like New Orleans, um, you know, in the tri-state area in in the East Coast and New York. Um, And so we decided to kind of pivot and ship all PPE items kind of to those hotspot areas in need. Um, and the reason why we created this was really just in response to what we were hearing first firsthand um, and also realizing that other countries, similarly, like in Italy, in China, um, other areas uh, throughout the world were kind of similarly facing insurmountable, uh, you know, number of COVID cases, yet without the, the lack of uh, equip- equipment to really keep their frontline workers safe. And so that's the reason why we created this organization we kind of, you know, built this organization overnight. We really just had a very basic website. I think it's interesting to go back and see what version one looked like, but we really want, we really did hear a lot of, you know, um, response from the community, you know, like other similar industries who um, closed down because of COVID, um, you know, during the, 
during the shutdown and wanted to help out. And so we even created a platform where um, we aggregated a list of all of the hospitals in the local areas kind of throughout 50 states. And this allowed people to directly connect with hospitals to drop off PPE items to directly the front lines where this pandemic was really, you know, um, kind of flooding the entire nation. So I think that's really kind of what what was kind of version one of this donate PPE effort. And then we started getting large amount of, you know, media attention, um, you know, getting kind of a lot of coverage about what what kind of grassroots movements that we were doing. And then as a result of that, a lot of corporations started pouring in their support. Um, and obviously with corporations, they have much more buying power and much more um, ability to really move PPE items to areas in critical need. So we are very, very fortunate to some of the large industries. Ford Motors has been a great partner from the get-go, really helping um, you know pivot their whole uh, factory line chain uh, to create instead of cars now and car parts, uh, creating face shields. And those have been literally like a lifesaver in some of these hospitals where, you know, a face shield is really kind of, uh, you know, hard to get by. And so those face shields were, were really, really uh, critical um, in the pandemic. In addition, we've also been able to work with other companies like Norwex, where they've donated a million masks and part of their a million mask campaign. And uh, we were able to ship those all throughout the United States, kind of to hotspot areas as well, to also to areas in Canada. Um, and other other corporations, I, we can't list all, everybody, but uh, we, you know, Kevin, Kevin and I were very fortunate from the beginning Citizens of Humanity, which is a local company, um, they they sell premium uh, jeans and apparel, and they're based out in Los Angeles as well too. They also have their warehouse here, large warehouse, and we're very fortunate because a lot of these shipments we're talking about not just boxes where you just get like from UPS or Amazon where it's just a box that ends up in your front door. We're talking about pallets, and so these are m multiple boxes on a pallet and they're getting shipped overseas. And so we were very fortunate to be able to piggyback and use their warehouse to kind of uh, receive these large pallets. So we're very grateful to work with them. And they've also helped in terms of donating cloth masks to uh, critical areas that need in, in, in the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I mean, we are, I think this organization has also transformed over the last six or so months. You know, we're sitting in October here and we're still re very relevant in terms of helping others. and. Um, as the, the need in terms of healthcare facilities um, have has died down over time, we have now pivoted and increased our PPE shipments to schools as they are opening up kind of in the Midwest, Southern states, even up in New York as well too. Um, so, you know, we really just want to kind of help these critical areas in need. You know, we don't know what is going to be the next, next sector in need of PPE, but, you know, we're going to, you know, continue to help as many people as we can so long as, you know, COVID-19 and this pandemic, um, there's a need for us to be exi in existence. So um, we've also donated a ton of items to shelters, food banks, um, also like a lot of dental clinics, a lot of free clinics. Um, as they started opening up kind of later in like June, July, that kind of summer months, um, as school kind of started ramping to as well too. Um, but yeah, if there's, I, this is just a shout out plug, like if anyone needs PPE items and, or of no, or know anybody 
who need PP items, they're free to email us at info at donatepp.org and we are happy to help facilitate any requests. Um, but that's pretty much it. I, well, I think we've, you know, I think we've adapted to the times um, quite well and, um, you know, continue to address the needs that are, are in our community. With the media spotlight and contributions from various businesses and corporations of all sizes, they expanded the movement and gained publicity, and they were invited to present in the Emmy Awards, which were held virtually this year. I don't think being on TV ever was something we like had on our bucket list or list of dreams or goals, per se. Maybe for Karen. Actually, I can imagine Karen wanting to be on TV, but for me, I, mean, I don't think it was ever like something I really wanted to do. But it was really cool to get the opportunity to, to uh, play around with the, the cameras and um, do a little acting and, and screenplay and, and, and getting to do something as cool as presenting other people's accomplishments on TV. Yeah, I would say that this was this was like kind of a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I don't think many people can say that they've presented at the Emmys, let alone just two ordinary doctors in Los Angeles. And so I think... Never did we have other ever fathom that this would be, you know, an opportunity that was given to us, and we're very grateful. Um, and you know, we're we were very very fortunate. I think during this time, both of us went to medical school in New York, and we really just wanted to help out during you know the COVID nineteen pandemic. A lot of our colleagues from medical school were all on the front line, including our mentors, all on the front line, uh, you know, fighting this pandemic. So we really just wanted to figure out a way how we can channel our expertise and time to help others around the nation to kind of fight this pandemic together. I was just wondering how you think the Emmy Award shows handled the virus and how it's kind of different or similar to how it's been in the hospitals, like how the pandemic has affected different locations or award shows. So I think actually the Emmys did a really great job. Uh, One of the things that they made very clear to us when they were selecting uh, individuals to present at the Emmys this year was they really wanted to highlight frontline workers. And, you know, I think this is a, you know, very unique opportunity, you know, as a frontline worker, my brother and I, you know, we, you know, have, you know, we chose a profession where we wanted to help individuals, but never did we ever know that, you know, this was going to kind of hit our front lines immediately, you know, on our grounds. And so we were very, very fortunate to kind of be part of this as, as well as a platform as a, and as a voice to express how serious this pandemic is and why we should take this seriously. But I think they did a really great job given the circumstances of having to make it all virtual, no live audience. I think Jimmy Kimmel as a host did a great job as well too, um, you know, to kind of um, highlight kind of the poignant features of what's going on in the last six months, but also, you know, keeping in mind that, you know, this COVID pandemic really affects everyone and anyone. Um, I, th- I think award shows, who knows what's going to look like next year. I think, you know, moving forward, it's going to be hard to see large gatherings happen, at least within the next, I would say, conservatively the next year or so. Um, so I think everything's going to turn into a virtual platform. I'm curious to see how other award shows will kind of uh, follow suit. Yeah, I agree completely with Karen about all of those points. Um, they, they were very thorough with our, uh, uh, our, our safety, uh, even though our encounter with uh, personnel from the Emmy specifically was largely virtual. It'll be interesting to see how uh, maybe smaller uh, award shows or smaller industries um, have these kinds of 
similar shows or programs, uh, whether it be filming television shows on closed sets or on closed locations or things like that, because the Emmys does have a larger budget. Um, I know that if it were something like the Oscars um, for movies, uh, the movie industry is huge, but they've taken a huge hit, whereas television might have a little bit of leeway given that most people consume television not in public, right? Everybody watches TV at home anyways. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Oscars deals with it, how um, music award shows like the MTV Awards uh, dealt with it, um, and then just to see how the, how, how everything is going to change. I mean, it, it'll be also kind of interesting to see if um, people will start wearing masks um, just like in in screenplay and television, because now this has become the new normal, seeing everybody in public wearing masks. Um, if there's like a, let's say like a television show, like about a high school romantic comedy or something, are all the kids going to be talking through Zoom with your teachers or um, are, are, is is there going to be like a, a crime thriller, but every all the police officers and, and criminals are wearing masks? Like, just be weird um, to see how this new normal affects the medium. In addition to Donate PPE, they've also worked with Guy Gilchrist to create a book called Monster Dance to help children normalize the situation and cope better emotionally. One other person who I would like to, you know, really mention is Guy Gilchrist, who is a beloved uh, American illustrator. He is also enshrined in the uh, Smithsonian for his great work, um, and he really has been pivotal in uh, you know donatepe.org. Uh, he also is best known for drawing all our favorite characters, uh, Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles. He also drew Muppets, Muppet Babies, Looney Tunes, um, all of those characters, Kermit. Um, and so we're very, very fortunate to be able to work with him um, and directly uh, have him draw special artwork for us as well too to help address children's uh, mental health and well-being during this pandemic. We realized as much as we want to continue to help provide PPE items, we have to also be aware that this has really affected a lot of people emotionally and also has affected kind of, you know, the educational sector as well too, as well as um, what does education look like at home and also how do parents and all of us cope with, um, you know, these times. For us, it's been quite challenging as healthcare workers to cope with these times, but it's much, much, much different for a child to cope with different times like this where everyone has to wear a mask and, you know, playgrounds are shut down and vacations are canceled. Um, so we are very, very aware of that. So we wanted to really address that. And we're launching our new book, Monster Dance, um, October 5th, um, and that that's a, that's a great marriage and partnership from basically um, what has culminated in the last six months. So we realized that, you know, this virus was not going away anytime soon. And so after talking to Guy Gilchrist and um, Madeline Editions, which is the publisher that's creating the book, um, we decided that there was an opportunity here to really make a meaningful impact. And these books, um, are going to be um, incorporated in classrooms uh, in Arcadia Unified School District. I know they've purchased a, a set of, of books uh, to be incorporated in the classrooms. Um, but basically, it's created for ages around two to th- two to six, I would say. And um, the goal of the book is to help um, children cope with this pandemic 
and help them feel like they're in control of, of, of this very unusual time that we're living in. Um, and so it follows a, a, a girl named Charlie who's very artistic and, and, and her dog, Maurice, who is a very melodramatic dog. And um, they basically, you follow them and see what they do to make the best of the circumstances that they are given in uh, during this pandemic. It's very interesting. This book is a multimedia picture book. So it's going to be, there's audio, there's animation, and um, all the artwork is done by Guy Gilchrist, which is super exciting. So um, it's available on, um, on Apple and Google Play. And then also because, um, you know, we understand that, you know, depending on where you live um, and, you know, we wanted to make this book internationally available. So we actually have made a hard copy, hard cover copy of the book that's available. And it's something new that the publishing house has really made, um, made, made it possible to do this year, especially. Um, so yeah, we're really excited. Um, the, the, the languages that we have right now are English and Mandarin and the Mandarin, um, um, read aloud version is actually by uh, Lin Ziling, who is a Taiwanese supermodel and actress. So super exciting. Um, we wanted to make this uh, accessible as much as possible. And I think we're open to making more languages down the, down the road. Um, so we wanted to, to really keep children in mind and make sure that they're also in the forefront of this pandemic and how we can address their needs because they're really our future. And the nice thing about it is that every book sold, um, a portion of the, the proceeds will be going to donatepp.org so we can continue our mission of helping others in the community. Yeah, I definitely think people should go check out this organization at donatepp.org. And is there anything else you guys would like to add? Uh, I think uh, same thing we said at the Emmys, uh, stay well, you know, stay healthy, eat well, take care of your loved ones, avoid crowds, practice social distancing, be smart about what you do outdoors and around other people. Um, I mean, even if, if, if even the president can get sick um, with all of his uh, safety precautions in place, it, anybody is at risk. So wear your mask, wash your hands, um, and really enjoy the time that you, 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 you can with your family because, you, you know, it's a very difficult time and you, know, you never know who's going through a difficult period. It can be pretty detrimental for some, some people and sometimes all they need is a little bit of outreach. Well said, Kevin. We're just a small part in a, in a large grand scheme during this COVID-19 uh, relief you know, effort. But, you know, small things like, you know, what can I do to help? You know, I, 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 I say that, you know, something as simple as, you know, making sure that your neighbor's okay, making sure that your community, you know, the, the, the people that you live around are okay. There's a lot of elderly people who are literally, you know, at high, very, very high risk, but they're so scared of leaving their house, just making sure that their well-being is okay. Um, and that, you know, even simple, something simple as buying groceries, you know, or you know, lending a hand to these people, um, I think I think goes a long way, and I think that's a first step in really making a difference. Uh, you know, I think we are all in this together, um, and I think at the same time too, as as much as as much as we would like this pandemic to go away, I think this is really kind of here to stay. So also simple things as you know, making sure you get your flu shot this year, especially with flu season kind of rolling around. Um, and, you know, avoiding, you know, high risk 
contacts and areas I think will will was very important. But yeah, I mean, I think I think we're doing a great job. We just have to continue to remind each other that those are 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 still needed and that this this pandemic will still go on and Kevin and I will still continue to, you know, work hard to make sure our colleagues and uh, the patients that come into our hospital are safe. All local businesses during this time have struggled, facing challenges never before seen. Mrs. Kropp, the owner of The Book Rack, a used bookstore in Arcadia, talks about how COVID-19 has impacted her business. My name is Sofia Naj, and I am with the team of Keeping in Arcadia. How are you doing, Ms. Kropp? I'm doing fine. That's good. Well, I'm just here to talk to you about The Book Rack and how you've been doing with all this you know, tough times. So now that you have the book rack and you've been running it for so many years, how has COVID impacted the book rack? Mind talking a little about that? Well, we can, firstly, it shut us down, Mm -hmm. slowed everything down, made everybody afraid that they were gonna catch it if they touched anything, and I totally understand that people with underlying health problems are going to be worried about anything, you know. Whereas a book, I spray in here every night. We, if I have thoughts about a book, I'm worried about a group of books, I spray the inside of a box and put the books in there and they sit in there overnight, tightly packed. Sometime the next day, then we wipe them all down and put them out. That's why some of these sit for longer times than others. So, but people, a lot of people didn't come back. A lot of people moved. Some people still don't know we're not, that we're open because so much of the, so many places just went away. And we are out of the way. It's not a street everybody goes down every day. But it's, it's been tough. It's been hard on the neighborhood, hard on all small businesses. I don't care if you're a bookstore or a restaurant, a nail salon, some of those parts of beauty shops. Oh my gosh. And it's not like rent and other things have gone down because they haven't. The governor fixed it so, okay, you're not gonna be evicted, but you have to be able to keep carrying the weight Electric, you have bills. Electric and heating and water bills and telephone bills and insurance and you you have to pay the wages and the taxes that go with the wages. However, like the size, there have been countless other efforts to aid the community and help out small businesses. Mina, a current college student who has worked at the book rack since she was 14, set up a GoFundMe to raise money to help Mrs. Crop pay bills. Other people began to join in on the support, sharing it online and find creative ways to encourage others to donate. You know, and it was nice. Mina did the, the 
the GoFundMe page for me, and that was really nice. And I would say, but there are so many people out there that need help too. And she said, yes, and so do you, so we can keep selling books, because she's worked here since she was 14. And she's now through college, and she's going to grad school. I think you remember Nina. Yes. So, you know, it's just, but it's hard. I bet it is. I am so thankful, and because it'll hold, and we'll see, and hopefully, you know, we find some other customers, some new customers, too, to make it for the ones that we lost or that moved away because a lot of people moved away. Though these times have been difficult and exhausting, these acts of kindness and support have also moved them deeply. For Mrs. Crop, she loves seeing people come in, both old and new customers, excited young readers or old acquaintances, with her shared passion and connection from reading. But I love seeing the customers. So, like you come in, you make my day, you always smile. <laughs> and I saw a lady I hadn't seen for eight months came in today and it was, oh my gosh, I thought maybe you moved. I'd rather say that and boy am I glad you didn't pass away. But, you know, you do wonder. I remember when I saw your GoFundMe, because it was on the Arcadia Weekly, and then it was all over Instagram, because the Arcadia High School kids, they love you so much. They started spreading it around. I actually had it in my bio for a couple of days. So, yeah. Thank you. I didn't realize that. We have kids that come back on their college break, or later when they start their own families, and they come back in here and they go, we had a card at one time and I go find their card and they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, the credit's not gone. It's still here. It's yours anytime you come back. <laughs> you know, so as long as I'm here, your credit's here. What can I say? And it's nice because they'll <laughs> say you still look the same and I know I don't, but that's okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, so, but it's nice to see them. You, some you remember the face, but some have changed so much. There were, they'll show you a picture from when they graduated, and it's 10 years later. And, oh my gosh, he grew up. And um, I love the people that come in. It's always fun. Hmm. I watched the kids grow up. I've got several customers that when I, I started working for Pat 10 years before I bought the store. So almost right after I moved here. And some of the first customers I have watched, now I'm going to be here 25 years, right? Some of the first customers, kids, are now bringing their kids in. No, they are grandmas. <laughs> I watch their kids grow up, go through high school, up to college, get married, all this good stuff. And now they're bringing their kids in. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. 
For the size, the most rewarding part is being able to give back to those on the front lines, who risk their lives helping people every day, as well as the new and old friends that they've connected with through their platform. One of the, the greatest privileges um, uh, at being part of DonatePP.org is that we get to continue to serve our community, and I mean this on like a international scale even, um, helping people that do what we do because we experience it. We, we feel deeply tied to these other healthcare workers and um, we're able to extend our reach to these people who have similar needs that we have felt the need for ourselves. And so we share their frustrations and we, we understand them on like a different level than somebody who says that, you know, who works in a different industry or in a different field that uh, doesn't have these pressing needs or stress um, that's work, these work related stresses. Um, so that's, that's really rewarding is uh, being able to help somebody uh, across the country that you've never met before, but you feel kind of connected to them because you're in the same, you're stuck in the same hole. And then along the lines of, uh, of donatepe.org's expansion, uh, there's quite a few people that uh, we've, we would have never engaged with, um, whether it be just people that are in industries that maybe are trying to shift gears and manufacture masks, but they want to reach out and, and uh, donate uh, something to the healthcare community or to patients who are fighting COVID or to high-risk communities. Um, uh, but don't know how to get get to them, and they use us as an avenue to get to these um, to these endpoints. And now we do basically quote unquote business with these people. That's pretty cool. I think that's like one of the biggest rewarding things. And then on a more personal level, uh, we got to reconnect with a lot of people, um, old friends, but also make new friends um, in the process of donatepp.org. You can see all these faces on our about us page. Um, and some of them actually might be recognized by Arcadia people because there are quite a few people on that About Us page that are also Apaches um, who have been pivotal to the growth and the success and the branding and the momentum of DonatePP.org that helps us generate more attention but also generates more awareness for the COVID pandemic, for the situation that frontline healthcare workers and the economy as it opens up are facing uh, as we continue to try and safely deal with the pandemic, um, they span in all kinds of industries, just like you would know that our, our high school is enormous and everybody has all these diverse desires and dreams that, that kind of guides them through life. And these are people that grew up as Apaches, just like you, um, just like us, who maybe don't know, didn't know at the time what they wanted to do. And now they've kind of made a name for themselves. They feel comfortable in this new position that they have. And they're contributing their skills and expertise in marketing and branding and web design and in and, and for us in medicine and health in communication with patients and and uh, healthcare workers um, and people uh, you know that we would have never crossed paths again if it weren't for something like donatepe.org and I think that's really cool getting to reconnect almost like a high school reunion of sorts yeah and also I think I'll expand a little bit more I mean I I think Kevin really said it very nicely, you know, both of us were just really, you know, very ordinary doctors who are not any special people in any way, shape or form. I think we were given an opportunity to really make a difference. And just the overwhelming support from the community, you know, uh, corporations aside, we've been really touched, I think, from the get go, 
uh, with, you know, these individuals who we would have never really met. I, I remember the first shipment that we had um, from a gentleman, Mr. Kimball. He donated a close to 5,000 N95 masks, 3M N95 masks, which was literally like a blessing in disguise. We didn't even know how these people were looking, look, finding us. You know, I don't even know if they were hearing us on the air or if they were seeing us on a news article or website or Googling us and they were connecting with us and asking, hey, you know, I have so many items I would like to donate to the front line. Where can you get these to go to those, those who need it? For Mrs. Crop and many other small businesses alike, these acts of goodwill and service mean the world to them and help keep their dreams alive. For Mrs. Crop, she's longed to open a bookstore for more than half her life, and she wants to incite the same passion for reading and literature that she has into others. What made you want to open the book I've always wanted a bookstore. Libraries were always one of the funnest places when I was growing up. So a bookstore when I came to work here and I had the opportunity to purchase it, it just, I love books, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's something I love? That whenever I've come here personally and ask you about a book, you've known, oh yes, that book, that author, like you know your stuff. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I try, try to read as much as I can and I reread the classics Those are, yes it's always important to read read as much as you can you'll never know what it's going to do for you and it's in, it's so important the comprehension ideas travel in your head thoughts imagination it is so important so aside from you wanting your bookstore, you want to foment that value of love for reading. Yes. Yes. And so far, my great-grandbabies got it too, so I'm doing fine. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Yes, it is. Immense thanks to essential workers and everyone who has donated money, supplies, time, and is continuing to spread positivity through this time. Our thoughts and condolences go out to anyone whose families and lives have been affected by COVID-19. And we have one final message from Karen and Kevin Sai. Shout out to um, all the Arcadians. Um, you know, this may be you one day in the future. So keep up the good work and uh, stay well. Same here. Uh, hoping the best. Everybody adapts to this uh, pandemic well. I uh, hope schools can find a way to get education uh, specifically Arcadia's uh, excellent curriculum back out to uh, the, the massive number of students uh, that are just waiting for an opportunity to learn. Um, and also, uh, I think both of us had uh, Miss Minster, who uh, was previously Miss Vorak for chemistry. Shout out to Miss Vorak <laughs> for uh, getting us to where we are because uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do it without her. The teachers at Arcadia are great. The mentorship is great. We're, we're very, very fortunate to be uh, alumni of Arcadia. And and I, I think, uh, you know, we would not be able to do what we are doing now without the guidance and um, mentorship from those individuals. So we're very, very fortunate. You guys are in great hands, so keep it up. Thank you so much. Thank you all for tuning in to the second episode of season four. For more weekly content, you can like, comment, download, and subscribe to Keeping It Arcadia. And to find out more, you can visit the social media pages at Arcadia Unified School District 
or visit dtiausd.weebly.com. This has been Joyce for Keeping Arcadia, and we'll see you next time.